Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think ultimately the Wells Fargo drama around this fake accounting scandal will probably end shortly after the sun goes into this red giant phase and incinerates the earth in about five billion years. That is probably when the Wells Fargo saga is going to come to a close. In this episode, Tom and Matt take a look at a recent ruling by a OCC administrative judge into three former Wells Fargo executives who were fined and penalized for their role or really their um, lack of effort during the Wells Fargo fake accounting scandal. It's a fascinating look at the failures by internal audit, risk management, and internal controls in the ongoing Wells Fargo scandals. Before we get started with our podcast, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. And for our special holiday edition, we are not going to play a broken record, but we're going to play one we played before, and that is Wells Fargo, the gift of compliance that keeps on giving. Whether that's a podcast, whether it's a blog, or whether it's just incredible inanity, Wells Fargo continues to provide us with lots of material. So, Matt, what is the latest amount of material from Wells Fargo, and why did you feel compelled to write about it? So here's what is going on, is that last week, an administrative law judge, he affirmed that three civil penalties against three former risk and audit executives at Wells Fargo, that those civil penalties should be upheld. In fact, not only should they be upheld, but they should be expanded. So this is yet another attempt at accountability for executives who were at Wells Fargo in the mid-2010s when Wells Fargo went through its great fake customer account scandal, where employees were opening customer accounts without the customer's knowledge or permission, and they were opening those accounts to hit sales quotas so that the employees would not be fired. And then as soon as the monthly quota was met and the next month rolled around, they closed out those accounts and they did it again. This was a huge scandal. It has cost billions and billions of dollars to Wells Fargo. We can get all into that and maybe later on in the podcast. But specifically, there are three Wells Fargo's executives from that period. They are the former group risk officer for Wells Fargo's community banking division. Her name is Claudia Russ Anderson. 
the former chief auditor, David Julian, and the former executive audit director, who's like the, the number two chief audit executive, a man named Paul McClinko, all three of them faced civil penalties from the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is the chief regulator for community banks in the United States. And so OC imposed these several different several different penalties against the Wells Fargo's executives. And now an administrative law judge has just affirmed that, yes, these penalties not only should be enforced, but they should be expanded beyond what OC had originally asked for. So that is the latest attempt at executive accountability at Wells Fargo. And Tom, I think ultimately the Wells Fargo drama around this fake accounting scandal will probably end shortly after the sun goes into this red giant phase and incinerates the earth in about 5 billion years. That is probably when the Wells Fargo saga is going to come to a close. I think that's only fair to give that speculation because we're talking about a 2016 initial fine and penalty. And here we are over six years later. But here we had finally some specific conduct or specific perhaps lack of conduct from these executives that was detailed. Before we get to maybe some bigger picture questions, could you tell us what the OC trial judge or administrative law judge rather found as to the failures of these three individuals? Yeah, so this is a somewhat convoluted look at how misconduct is enforced in the financial services world, that OC charged these three executives, Ms. Anderson and then Mr. Julian and Mr. McClinko, charged them in 2020, I think it was, and suggested penalties of $5 million for Ms. Anderson, $2 million for Julian, $500,000 for Mr. McClinko. And that was OCC's recommended penalties. But OC opted to go and have a public hearing in front of an administrative law judge. So that's not an actual federal judge, but these administrative law judges were established by the Dodd-Frank Act, and they can resolve and investigate allegations of misconduct in the financial services world. So starting, I think it was last September, going into early 2022, administrative law judge Christopher McNeil basically held a civil trial or a finding of fact and did an exhaustive review and then just the other week published a 78-page report of what he believes has actually happened here, a finding of fact for Ms. Anderson, Mr. Julian, Mr. McClinko, and where I had said the penalties would be $5 million, $2 million, half a million dollars. The judge came back and said, no, it should be higher, $10 million, $7 million, and $1.5 million for Ms. Anderson, Mr. Julian, Mr. McClinko. Now, this is not the final word. First off, OC has to decide that, yes, it will follow through with those higher penalties. And if it does, then the three of them all have the right to go to a federal judge anyways and appeal that ruling and basically have the whole thing go through federal court, much like an SEC trial in front of an ALJ. So we are nowhere near done with this yet. But this is, and by the way, all three defendants say that they will seek to appeal this to a federal court. But this is where things are going, is that McNeil basically, he found all sorts of dereliction of duty where all three of them basically failed to provide credible challenge. That was the phrase that he used. Failed to provide credible challenge to the first line of defense 
and to various other parts of the Wells Fargo enterprise who are all saying these things are great. But, you know, what we were basically saying that all of Wells Fargo sales practices are fantastic. We have nothing to worry about here. When that was credibly, factually, empirically, that was not true. Everybody knew Wells Fargo had extensive problems with its fake account scandal. Senior management knew this. And yet the risk and audit executives who were in charge of getting the bad stuff out into public in the enterprise so they could all talk about it and confront it. They failed to provide a credible challenge, as the judge said, I think a total of 14 times, that no, the sales practices were not okay. This is a big mess and we need to get to the bottom of it. They didn't do that. And so the judge, McNeil, painted a very unflattering picture of their behavior and recommended some very steep fines against them. So I was trying to look up quickly, but I haven't found the answer to the following question is, what is the nature of the appeal to the federal district court? Is If it indeed is a federal district court, is the Court of Appeals, federal district court is a new trial or a trial de novo? We don't have those answers right now because that makes some small amount of difference going forward. But the stunning part of that you just recited, Matt, was the, really the increase by the ALJ above the suggested penalties, indicating to me that the ALJ found a clearly indeficiency. Indif- what were yeah. some of the specific findings that you were able to tease out from the ALJ? So we should consider the timing of things here is all of Wells Fargo's misconduct woes happened from the late 2000s up until the mid-2010s. And in 2016 is when everything burst out into public view with several hundred million dollars in fines then and a $3 billion penalty from the Justice Department later. But as early as 2011, Wells Fargo knew it had some problems here. There were lawsuits being filed by various state and federal regulators, and there was widespread discussion among employees that we feel pressure to sell these sales for these banking products to consumers that we're never going to meet our sales quota. We can't do it. And so we're just engaging in these fake accounts, opening and closing and funding them without permission. This was all known by the early 2010s. But the ALJ judge's report looked at 2013 to 2017. So this was already later than when the bank had already known that it had problems. These problems had a name, well known in Wells Fargo, that was called Gaty Accounts. But for example, Mr. Julian, the chief audit executive, he had received numerous direct and express warnings in 2015 and 2016 that Wells Fargo had serious issues with its sales price. OCC examiners had came to review, had come to the bank and looked at its audit function, and they had told the audit team that was one that reported directly to Mr. Julian, do better testing the first line of defense's compliance, do better at developing an audit strategy for the second line of defense's regulatory compliance efforts. OC wrote out a report, put it on Julian's desk. These are our problems that we see. You have to fix them. And that had not happened. In throughout 2016 and into 2017, still, according to Mr. McNeil, the ALJ judge, Julian was doing things such as failing to assure that Wells Fargo audit activity would detect and document the effectiveness of controls over sales practices, failed to escalate senior bank management into the 
issues related to internal control weaknesses in the community bank's first line of defense. And we could go on from there. But the audit function and the risk management function had clear, unequivocal, documented warnings that you have major problems in the sales practices at Wells Fargo that should be fixed. And yet for a period of years beyond that, they were not fixed and they weren't escalated up to the board and to senior management. That was what the ALJ judge found. And that led to this phrase, which I really do, is failure to provide credible challenge. And if we want to expand the lens a bit and think about chief compliance officers and risk officers and your personal liability for corporate misconduct issues, I think a lot of it would relate to that phrase. Are you providing credible challenge to what the business units are telling you? And could you then say, no, first line, what you're telling me that everything's hunky-dory, that's bogus. That's not true. We have big issues. You need to fix them. Or if you're not fixing them, I'm going to take it to the board and I'm going to turn over this rock and let all of the gross, gory stuff underneath come out in the public view. It's really a question of how would risk and compliance and audit executives bring issues to the board to say, we don't necessarily know what the answer is, but this is the problem. We're not taking it seriously enough. We all have to think about it. You, board, you, senior management, you're in charge. We have to confront this. The other specific to the audit function is that also the Judge McNeil found that they had not done a sufficiently aggressive root cause analysis of the improper sales practices. And we could talk about that a bit more. I have mixed emotions about that because the root cause analysis of this sales practice was a deeply flawed strategy in corporate culture. I don't know what the root cause analysis of that is. It seems self-evident to me, but those were the kind of issues that the judge was flagging. Now, when I originally read that component or those three items flagged by the judge, I thought these three individuals were just a larger part of a group at Wells that showed the fix was in across the entire organization. I reread it, and now knowing what I've, I know about some of the other principles involved in this matter, I wondered if these individuals actually couldn't get access to that information because the way the community bank worked at Wells, it was completely siloed off. And the woman who ran it really ran it like a, not a fiefdom, but her own country. And you couldn't get past her. And any thoughts one way or the other, or did you get a different impression? Just incompetency or worse from these individuals? A little bit of both, maybe, to be honest. It's good that we raise the fact that other people have been charged in connection with this. OC charged the former CEO, John Stumpf and the former head of the community banking division, whose name was Stolsted, I believe. I may be mispronouncing her last name. But Mr. Stump, for example, like any good CEO or CEO who gets implicated, he immediately pleaded out. And he, I think, wound up paying a large fine, much larger than what we're talking about. But there were a total of five or six executives who were charged here. These are the three who are still trying to maintain their innocence or maintain the fight. To the allegation that Ms. Stolstead in the community bank division, she kept everything siloed, I think that in particular, like that unto itself would be a red flag. If I were the chief audit executive of a large bank such as Wells, an audit executive should be able to audit any part of the enterprise, especially in a highly regulated industry such as banking 
where you are required to have an internal audit function. I know in many other industries, it's a nice to have, and most companies do have them. Banking, you do not have that choice. You must have an internal audit function, period. And it would therefore be an easy argument for a CAE to make to the board. I should be able to go and audit whatever I want. And this community bank division person is sealing me off. That is something that deserves, hold on for it, folks, a credible challenge that there's an issue here that I need to get to and they're blocking me. And that then becomes the conversation. And that didn't, there was a lot of the audit team saying literally my job or I took what they were telling me at face value because there are risk managers in the first line at a bank. There's a risk management function. And then there are risk managers within the first line's business operating units. It's very complex. But there was a lot of people who were basically saying, this is not my job. There's other committees that are looking at it. At one point, the chief risk officer, Ms. Julian, I'm sorry, Ms. Russ Anderson, she was on a total of six committees at the senior level that were in charge of operational risk, operational risk management. Those were separate committees. There was an in-house fraud committee that I think the audit executive was on. There were committees everywhere. And so it really is one of those scenarios where anybody could have done the job and everybody thought somebody else was doing it. And so nobody did it like that goofy little Dear Abby column that we've all read about. Nobody did everybody's job and all of this and the mess ensued. That is exactly what happened at Wells. Everybody thought somebody else might be in charge of it. But at the bottom of things, at the end of the day, every senior executive knew this was a big problem. Just because we in the compliance world were aware of this come 2016, when they got hit with their first fine, it's not like this was news to Wells in 2016. They had been fined and yelled at by regulators for years before this happened. And it was only in 2016 when the first big fines started coming down that the rest of us started paying attention and realized Wells Fargo was a flaming train wreck. Anybody in Wells would have known. They had fired thousands of employees for this offense by that time. So I don't buy it that the audit executives or the risk management team would say, we didn't know what was going on because it was siloed. Everybody knew what was going on at Wells, siloed or not. Let me pick up on the committees, because when I read that, I thought of a couple of trite phrases, jack of all trades, masters of none. Yeah. If everyone's in charge, no one's in charge. But here we had six committees in charge. And if I can cross-culturally reference the ABB FCPA settlement, one of the things the DOJ made clear was they wanted a clear line of authority. And they always say that. And this, to me, was one of the best examples of an unclear line of authority or perhaps no clear lines of authority at all. And to your several points about these committees, if everyone thinks some other committee is doing it, You've got a big problem, man. If audit can't cut through to do the audit of a business unit, such as community bank system, that is a huge problem. So perhaps less committees might be a better idea going forward. I would absolutely agree with that. And in a certain perverse way, this proliferation of committees actually became the rope that got hung around these executives next because these committees have charters which then said, these are your duties. And the judge repeatedly in his order went back and said, these were the committees you were on. These were the charters of what you're supposed to do. And you didn't do it. So I think maybe a simpler oversight structure definitely would have helped. 
I should actually say there was many more than six committees. The six committees were just the committees that Claudia Russ Anderson were on. And then Mr. Julian and Mr. McClinko were on yet more committees. Sometimes they were on the same committees as Ms. Anderson, sometimes not. But I don't even know how many committees there were. This is an org chart that looked like a Jackson Pollock painting, and that's bad. But also, I would just point out that when we say that the audit executives or the audit team doesn't have access to the community banking division, let's be clear, that was not a small division at Wells Fargo. That was the business. Wells Fargo is one of the biggest community banks in the country. It has other businesses and in investment banking and mergers and acquisitions and whatnot. Hence, it's regulated by the OC and the Fed. It's not like Goldman Sachs, where investment banking is the lion's share of what it does. And you'll be lucky if you see a Goldman Sachs physical branch in your lifetime. Wells Fargo had community branches everywhere. Its community banking division was the lion's share of the whole enterprise. And the audit executive is saying, I can't get to it. It's siloed off. Are you kidding me? That's like siloing off half of the body. And this is okay. That was not okay under any circumstance. And here we are. So the Jackson Pollock analogy, I thought was very prescient and visually pleasing. Kudos. We continue to get lessons from Wells Fargo really around what not to do and how bad things can be if you do them. And we've still got I think a big trial with the Carrie Toldstat. I don't think she's all of the proceedings are concluded against her, but it's going to be very interesting to see how these guys are going to, if they can appeal this and what the nature of the appeal would be, how they can defend themselves going forward because maybe they want to go back into banking. I can't imagine they're ever going to clear their names. I don't think they will. In fact, that is one of the recommendations the judge made against at least one or two of the executives here. I can't remember exactly who off the top of my head, so I won't name them. But their careers are in ruins. I don't know what sort of DNO insurance they may or may not have. But if you're somebody like Paul McClinko, senior level executive, I don't know that you'd have DNO insurance. And he's looking at a million and a half dollar fine. That is going to be a significant thing. It really drives home these questions about how aggressive must you be as a risk or audit executive challenging the business and getting back to the root cause analysis that we cover. But the root cause of Wells Fargo's problems, I wrote about this several years ago, was that it had a deeply flawed strategy that was always going to wind up leading to pressure to sell more goods and sell more products. And that would ultimately require people to start to cheat, which is what they did. How do you audit that if you are an audit executive? How do you go to the board and say, problem is everything that we hold dear at this bank and the CEO who came up with this strategy, it's never going to work. Yet I would make the argument that Wells Fargo was always going to be here and it did get there. I don't know what the root cause analysis would be for that. And I don't necessarily know how an audit executive would have that conversation with management or the board. I'm not necessarily excusing or apologizing for the misconduct that happened here or the blinders that they had on. There are some big questions here about what your duties are to a higher truth that I don't necessarily know that the answers are easy or clear. And even if you know what the answers are, following through and sticking to them, that's not going to be easy to do either. 
So, Matt, the judge recommended Anderson and Julian both be banned from banking, the banking business going yeah. forward, and McClinko was recommended a cease and desist order. The gift, right. uh, the gift that keeps on giving, I am sure we'll be revisiting Wells Fargo yet again, Matt, in 2023. All right. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special 300th anniversary episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt and I have had a ton of fun over this podcast series. I hope you have as well, perhaps learned a little about compliance details and Into the Weeds. And I hope you'll join Matt and I again as we head on for our next 300 episodes. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.